Hello and welcome to Shaping Success, a brand new and very exciting podcast from Simply Be, all about women at the top of their game with me, Fleur East. As a singer and broadcaster, I'm inspired by women who push boundaries, women who have carved a different path to society's stereotypes, women who refuse to fit in. And I want to find out who and what shaped their journey to success. So in this podcast series, I'm joined by female icons from all walks of life to talk about their inspirations, heroes, and the moments that change them. We'll hear from some of the biggest female names and the ones you might know less about as they share their remarkable stories of determination and dedication and reveal the moments and icons that have shaped them along the way. Ultimately, our guests all have one thing in common. They're killing it. So let's meet them. On today's episode, I'm joined by one of the most successful rugby players of all time. She's won a World Cup, the Six Nations eight times, and she's an Olympian. To have achieved all of this, it's no wonder she's got over 100 caps for her country. Emily Scarrett is a force to be reckoned with in the world of rugby, an icon to young players across the country. Emily, or Skaz, as she's widely known, represents the transformation of women's rugby in recent years. Welcome to Shaping Success, Emily Scarrett. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. What an intro. <laughs> I'm so excited that you're here. I'm like talking to the Beyonce of the rugby world, <laughs> essentially. That's who you are. I mean, I would definitely never say that myself. But I'll definitely take it. I love Beyonce. <laughs> Anybody who knows me would be like, that is not accurate at all. <laughs> I was in at all. But one thing that I was intrigued to learn about you is that you don't actually have any of your many trophies on display in your house. You don't have any of that on show. Yeah, it's a weird one. Like, obviously, being able to have gone to some incredibly cool places, played in some amazing tournaments, picked up some silverware along the way, and obviously worn loads of different shirts mm. and stuff. It's quite common for people to get them framed or put up. And it's just something that I've never done. Um, I, I think at some point I will do something, but maybe when I finish playing, it's just... I guess I don't want to come back from training, walk into my house and it just be like, bam, rugby is still here, you know? Like mm -hmm. it's, it is such a big part of my life and it's not because I'm not proud of any of those things. It's just, I think, I guess I don't want them in my or everyone else's faces. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Humility goes a long way. <laughs> and how did you even make the route or go get on the path to becoming this successful literally one of the most successful rugby players of all time I'll be honest even when I reflect back now I, I kind of don't know like and that seems really weird to say yeah because I just I played the game because I loved it and I played with the boys until I was under 12 and that certainly wasn't I had some brilliant friends in that group but it wasn't always the easiest you'd rock up at a, a game and they'd be like, you could hear the whispers they've got a girl on their team they've got a girl and it'd be like I'm a girl like because it, it wasn't the wow. kind of the norm mm. um and the boys in my team were, were brilliant but you hear of other girls you know the boys went past to me that kind of classic classic line okay. um I'm a pretty stubborn individual <laughs> and I think hearing those things and hearing other people's account of things and hearing that maybe girls shouldn't play rugby as I was, as a youngster you know take up netball or something like I'm pretty stubborn. I loved rugby and therefore I was going to do it. And I was also going to show you that we can do these things. Um, so actually when you heard those whispers when I arrived at a game, they've got a girl on their team, I was determined to show them that, yes, I was a girl, but I was a damn good rugby player. And that bit was more important than than anything else. And that, I guess, has continued to to drive me. 
when I joined the the all girls team when I was 12. That again was hard because I was 12 years old entering a team full of 18, 16 year olds. And again, you're a newbie into an environment and it's not, it's not easy. But I think the love of the game and being incredibly stubborn, I just wanted to play rugby and I kind of wasn't bothered what people thought about it. There was various times when I was growing up, I tried to drag some of the girls, you know, my friends from school along. I was like, come on, you can come with me because you, you can't, you naturally, you want people around you yeah. that, that are your friends and whatnot. They came for one session. They were like, nah, <laughs> they were like, this is not for me. And I, okay, fine, like fine, but it yeah. is for me. There'd be occasions, certainly when I was probably a bit older, some of my friends were going out and I had a game the next day. They're like, come on, oh, come on. And I'm like, no, this is, this is important to me and this is what I want to do. And they, sometimes didn't always understand why that was the case but again like I was stubborn and it was what I wanted to do. So how did you get to the professional stage so you were you were with your team you were studying and then what was the moment that changed everything? Well it was just the RFU introducing professional contracts so we uh it was during the season of 2014 so just before the World Cup okay we were told because of sevens and because of Rio the sevens players would go professional. So obviously you're hoping you're one of those players, but also you've got a massive thing coming up that is the World Cup that you want to go on and win. So it was kind of, it was a tricky thing, but back then we used to flip-flop. So the players that played 15s would also just basically leave the 15s team and and go and play sevens because there's two different forms of our game. Sevens is the only one that's in the Olympics. 15s isn't in the Olympics. So for a large group of us, the... I guess the bait of becoming a professional rugby player, albeit arguably terrible money, you, you could just about do it, but it it was irrelevant. Like we were going to be professional rugby players. We were going to be the first professional rugby players and we could go to an Olympic Games. And that was, as I say, the, the biggest bait you could possibly mm. wish for. So let's just dive straight in because one of the most pivotal moments or what people will probably know you best for is the 2014 World Cup. Talk to me about that. <laughs> oh, it was... Just one of those tournaments that you reflect back on and you just think, we did it. You know, we we became world champions. But I think prior to that, there's a hell of a lot of stuff that went into it. I was part of the 2010 World Cup squad that that lost in the final to New Zealand at mm. home. That was, you know, an absolute killer blow. And England as a women's rugby team hadn't won the World Cup in 20 years. So there was a hell of a lot of history. There was, you know, a, a massive expectation. We'd won the Six Nations and we'd really pushed on in terms of world rankings and all that sort of stuff. But you know, winning the World Cup on a standalone tournament is is the thing that everybody wants to go and do. And it was just an unbelievable tournament. It wasn't perfect. Like we lost staff members along the way. We lost players along the way in the build-up. Obviously it's kind of, it's a four-year cycle, but mm. realistically that last year is where it really kicks in and you the training ramps up and, you know, the programme is completely tailored towards that competition. So it, it certainly wasn't perfect. And even in tournament, we had players you know, legs and arms hanging off oh in inverted commas. Obviously they were still able to play, but you know, we weren't in great shape, but just to come through it with that group of players and and finally lift the World Cup, it was, yeah, it was unbelievable. But I mean, you were responsible for a lot of it. <laughs> I mean, was it in the last six minutes of the game that you clinched it? Talk to me about that that very moment because you must have thought, was there a part of you that was like, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen here. It, I think when we knew it was Canada in the final, we'd played them in the groups and drawn, but we'd played them a lot before and and I think we knew we could beat them. And arguably, if you're in their camp, they're probably looking at it thinking, we know we can beat yeah. them too. And, and that's kind of part of sport. But I think we knew going into that final, we were really well prepped. We, were, we weren't in great shape physically, but, you know, it's a final. Everyone finds that extra bit. Um, 
And the game itself was a bit kind of, to me, to you, uh, in terms of penalty exchanges and stuff. Mm. Uh, Nolly Waterman, our fullback, had scored an, an awesome try down the right-hand side. And then there was a penalty opportunity that, that came and I was kicking that day. And I looked at Katie, who was our captain in 10, and I, she looked at me as if, do you fancy? And I, and I said, no. And oh. as a kicker, like it's your responsibility not to over-egg what you think you're capable of and mm, just okay. take on everything regardless. You know, there's there's obviously a, probably a bit of an ego element when you are a kicker. But for me, it was about what's best for the team right now. And, and for me, at that point with 70 minutes in my legs, I didn't feel like I could kick it. And I remember her saying to me afterwards, she was like, I nearly took the tee off you and kicked it myself. <laughs> I think because she felt oh it was a kickable opportunity. So we went to the corner, kicked to the corner and then had a line out drive. And then the try came off that subsequent play. So sometimes, you know, things happen for a reason. You don't mm. realise it at the time. And yeah, luckily was able to score a try from that, which I reflect on that, not as because of the try itself and what I did, but just the reaction of everybody else. Like I just get mobbed by all of the girls. The sideline goes bananas. The, you know, every white shirt in the crowd goes crazy. And I think because everybody knew at that moment with the scoreline, with the amount of time left, that was that was probably it. But yeah, there's some very cool scenes. Oh my gosh. And this is what we all kind of see from the outside. We see all those cool scenes. We see all the victory. But what's really cool about sitting down with you today is I'm going to get to learn about all the moments that maybe people don't see. Like, so the moments that shaped you that people maybe don't even know about. So we want to ask you some of the positives and some of the negatives. If you can think of one of the most positive moments in your history, throughout your career or just in your life, that have shaped you and got you to where you are today, what would one of those positive moments be? It's such a hard question, isn't it? I think for me, it came from a, a negative experience. So I spoke about earlier, losing the 2010 World Cup, mm. I think was one of the best things that could have possibly ever happened to me. Obviously at the time you're gutted. I, I was 20 years old. I was kind of this, I was the youngster in the squad, just loving my life being there. And actually after the final whistle, if I'm being really honest with myself, I wasn't as upset as some of the other girls because I don't think I was as invested. I didn't understand really what, what it meant. Mm. I was still at university, you know, I was still having a great time on a Wednesday evening up in Leeds. That was just just how it was. And the professional side of life was was very different back then. But I think the, the years that followed that really made me reflect and think this is definitely what I want and actually made something change in my head that meant you know, am I doing everything that I can possibly do? Because actually that feeling I don't want to feel mm. knowing that I could have done more, I could have trained harder or I could have applied myself differently to a certain task. So I think that that's one of the biggest things that lives with me now is, you know, we play sport, it's not always going to be perfect and you're not always going to get the result you want. You can work as hard as you possibly can, arguably harder than anybody else you're mm. competing against. But it doesn't always mean that you're going to win. But actually if I can reflect back and just say, I did everything I could. You know, I didn't skip that session. I didn't eat something I shouldn't have eaten at a wrong time or gone out on a big night when I, you know, something important was coming up. If I can reflect back on that time and think I did everything I could, then, you know, I'm still not happy about the result, obviously, <laughs> yeah. but I can accept it. Um, and I think that has been something that has definitely shaped how I now train and how I, you know, I guess approach things. I love that you just flipped that whole question <laughs> and actually made the negative the positive. <laughs> but if you had to think, what would one positive moment be that, that has shaped you and impacted you? Because ultimately a negative experience like that makes you more hungry. I mean, you yeah. can go either way, but you've obviously taken the road of this is going to make me even more determined. But has there been a moment that was 
amazing, that was positive, that maybe we haven't seen or we've never heard of that, that has shaped you or impacted you in a, in a different way? I, I, well, I think definitely the 2014 win was was a huge one. It was very seen and everybody obviously knows about it. But I think just what that did for our sport and how it amplified our game and how it obviously continues to to still do that was amazing. Like I've played rugby since I was five. I, I love it. I genuinely really love it. And we'd never been on a stage like that in front of that many people. The papers had never reported on us like that. You know, young girls had never been able to see us like that, never been able to look at us and think, I want to be a professional rugby player. So all of those things I think was, was just amazing. But I think one of my most proudest moments, I suppose, was being able to lead Team GB at the Olympic Games. Sevens for women had never been a thing. For the men, it had happened, you know, years gone by, but it was back in the Olympic Games. And being able to be part of that programme and actually lead a group of girls that are essentially some of my best friends mm. into an unbelievable tournament like that, I think was was one of the proudest moments. And, you know, just little things like going to kitting out day, like with the girls, yeah. you turn up at like Adidas HQ and it's just, so cool. it's carnage, but unbelievable. And as any sportsman knows, like Stash is king. It always has been, always will be. But but just that sense of belonging, that sense of, I've never worn this before. I've never worn a Team GB kit before. It's always been England. Mm. And just that coming together of of all of it was... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I've been so lucky. There's been some unbelievable moments along the way, all of, largely focused around obviously rugby. But yeah, is there anything that because you you strike me as a very positive person, <laughs> like I would say you've got yeah a positive outlook on life. I'm quite similar to you, but would there be anything that's happened that from the outside people would think, "Whoa, that's really negative." I don't know how you're going to pull yourself back from that. That you've experienced that you have turned around because it seems like you're that person that does that. <laughs> um. I guess like just naturally failing in inverted commas mm. at things. So, you know, I've won one World Cup, yes, but I've lost three and I've lost three finals and that hurts. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And we also came fourth at the Olympic Games, which when you're thinking gold, silver, bronze, fourth is traditionally the worst place to finish. Um, <laughs> yeah. So essentially that's that's four massive kind of things, failures, if you like, I deem them failures because mm. that's not what I wanted to go and achieve. That wasn't part of the plan. So they've been, they've been tough. And I guess, like I said earlier, the way you respond to them is, is the biggest thing. I'm still playing the game. We lost uh, just what six, nine months ago. We lost in a World Cup final that everybody said we should have won. It's not easy. It's oh really, really hard. And, and when you're, I guess, one of the senior leaders in that team, vice captain as I was it's it, it falls on you and it, it weighs heavy yeah. you, feel, you feel like you know that sense of responsibility that actually for the girls and for the nation we should have we should have been able to do it but it again I think the biggest thing for me is I have to realize that sport is sport it's it's you don't get fairy tales sometimes mm -hmm. you do and they're unbelievable but for a large part of the time you, you just don't and yeah sometimes that's hard to get your head around <laughs> but having that competitive spirit like for me, on a minor scale, for example, say we play like a game of Monopoly at Christmas time, right? <laughs> that gets feisty. It does. It gets, <laughs> it gets spicy as well. Like I can go to bed sometimes and I'll just be fuming that I lost that Monopoly game. <laughs> and that is just like in my living room. That's not on a global scale. That's not, you know, representing a nation, carrying a team, like you said. So, for example, when you come forth or you've lost three, three games, like how do you come back from something like that? How do you keep fighting and keep wanting to win after those knocks? I think it's the possibility of what we could do. Um, 
And also like one of my biggest things, one of my biggest drivers is I want to fulfill my potential. That's always been my thing. You know, whether that potential is here or whether it's up there, I mm. want to fulfill it. I still don't believe that I've done that. I've obviously been so lucky to do so much in the sport, but I still think there's more. And I guess when I get to the point where I think I've, I've ticked it off, I'd like to think I'll never get to that point, but that's the point at which, you know, it's not for me anymore. I can't, I can't do it. So that's one of the biggest things I just continually want to be better, want to push on. And I believe that what we're building at the moment in women's sport, but in women's rugby and certainly in English women's rugby is something incredibly special. We've got a home world cup in 2025. Like that could be, mm. I talk about the other world cups I've been to and they've all been unbelievable. That could be the biggest of the biggest, like it could be insane. And I guess for me, I want to be a part of it, but I want to be a, you know, a, a part of it that's successful and pushing forward and, and being, you know, all the kinds of positive role models that we can possibly be. So you may not see this, <laughs> but you are essentially an icon. <laughs> For all the young girls who are playing, who want to get into rugby, who maybe don't even know that it's it's even accessible to them, like you said, you are like the shining beacon. You're showing them that this is possible. When you started playing at the age of five, did you realize that this is the <laughs> weight that you'd carry like moving forward? Is this what you aim to do? I didn't even know which way I should run, I think, when I was five. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no idea. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like yeah. when you looked at yourself in like 10 years, 20 years, did you think this is what I want to be, this is what I want to do. There's there's no way. And I think genuinely until almost the day before I got my first international cap at 18 years old, I still probably didn't think it was a thing. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. it, it's mad. Like I loved playing rugby. I loved playing sport. That was my thing as a kid. So I did everything I possibly could all through school every after school club I could possibly could. Like I think my mum and dad were just driven mad by driving me around the county pretty much every evening to do <laughs> something. And, I, and I, I just did it because I loved it. And then, you know, you get, you go through to a county and I did that because I loved it. And then from county, someone spots you for some form of performance camp. And I did that because I, you know, it was never a case of I want to be right. X. It was a case of I love doing what I do. And because I love it, I want to get better because I am a competitive individual, obviously. And whenever I took the field, I wanted to be, you know, better than my opposition or contribute because of the team and, and make sure that we were doing well, et cetera. So it was always just that. And arguably it still is like, I, mm. you know, yes, I want to go on and win a World Cup, but I still do it because I love it and I still do it because I, I want to get better and I believe I can get better. So I, I was never that person that, you know, as a youngster was like, I want to go to the Olympics or I want to yeah. play at a World Cup. That, that just wasn't me. It was just a case of, I love this and let's see what happens. I'm really happy that you said that actually, that love is like at the center of what you do, because particularly with a lot of the younger generation, you know, they'll look up to a lot of people that are making it and they'll go, oh yeah, I want to be like that. I want to be, I want to be famous. I just want to be known. And they don't realize that someone in your position who they're looking up to is doing it purely for the love of it. And all of the accolades and all of that come with it, but that's not what drives you essentially. Yeah. It's a, it's a byproduct, isn't it? Rather than the, the driving force. And certainly for me, I can't even say that that was a factor because it, you know, when I was growing up, women's rugby wasn't professional. Mm. It wasn't on the TV. It wasn't, you know, it was none of those things. So you could never aspire to be, have so many Instagram followers or or whatever. It just, it wasn't a, a, one of the things that was the driving force. It had to be for the love in it. And it most definitely still is like, I, I'm an individual. I can't do something that I'm not invested in and I can't do something that I don't enjoy. So if, you know, I was still playing rugby and I'd just fallen out of love with the game. Then I, I just don't think I could do it anymore. It's I'd have to find a new passion, something that kind of lit that fire again and, and pushed me on. 
You know, like you said, like over the years, obviously things have progressed a lot and particularly with things that you've done to change the game. Like you didn't have a lot of examples of female rugby players when you were growing up and you can't really aspire to be what you can't see, right? But you are now that person for the younger generation. So what I would love to know <laughs> is who are the people that shaped you? Like someone in your personal life that really impacted you in a really special way. I think the thing just on that is the people were there. You know, we've had some phenomenal... Mm you know, former Red Roses, they were there. We just had no idea. And actually mm -hmm. it's been something that's been really nice recently is we've reconnected with those guys, you know, the 1994 World Cup winning squad. We've reconnected with some of those. They told their stories, you know, the fact they were sewing their own shirts on um, together and the, the patches and the sponsorship, et cetera, all that sort of stuff, like some amazing stories. So I think the biggest thing now is that young girls can, can see us. For me, it's massive around my family. So I incredibly lucky grew up in a, a mum, dad, brother household and they are just amazing. Like my dad is a farmer, so he works on a working farm. Mm -hmm. my, both my grandparents, both granddads were farmers. So farming, I suppose, has, oh, wow. has been a huge shaper for me. And like, you know, we weren't super rich. We didn't have everything we wanted. It wasn't a case of I don't know, I wanted a Game Boy, I got it, or a PlayStation, it, it, that wasn't it. But the outdoors, that environment, I think it's instilled some incredible values in me. You know, farming is not easy mm. and it's not nine to five. Um, like there'd be some summers where I wouldn't see my dad for up to, to maybe a week because he'd come in before I'd, after I'd gone to bed and get up way before I'd got up. Wow. So unless you physically went out into the field to see him, you, you wouldn't see him. Um, so he works incredibly hard. And I think that's something that I've definitely picked up along the way. And I suppose that other thing of like, you reap what you sow mm -hmm. and that is literally farming. You know, you, you work incredibly hard to put something in the ground in the hope that it, it grows, you're able to harvest it and you're able to sell it on at the end of it. But with the caveat that Mother Nature can do what the hell she wants in the, mm, in the yeah. middle of all that. Yeah. So I think it's that working really hard to try and get something out of it, but also kind of like I was talking about earlier with sport, accepting that sometimes it's, it's not always in your control and you don't always get what you want. And I guess having that, it's not being relaxed, but just having that, that ability to not get stressed about every little thing that goes wrong mm. because inevitably there's a lot of things that can go wrong yeah. along the way. I love that you literally lived and grew up in your analogy. Yeah. The farm. yeah. You, were, you were reaping and sowing <laughs> and now in your career you're doing the exact same thing. That's like what? Full circle moment, isn't it? Yeah. So apart from people in your life that helped shape your career, what about those outside of your personal life? Anyone in the spotlight that you looked up to or inspired you? I don't necessarily have like an icon, you know, I don't mm. have a a Serena Williams or someone like that, obviously a huge amount of respect for her. And and I mean, how can she not be an icon, I well, suppose? Yeah. <laughs> but I think I just remember, like I remember people or periods or moments and they're all based around sport and they're all best based around successful people in sport. I loved watching people good at their craft. Mm -hmm. So like Pete Sampras, Andre Agassi, tennis, Justin Ennen, like just people that were so good. Ian Thorpe, when he used to swim, like I, I'm a sports fan, so I can yeah, list them so from all sorts yeah. of sports. Denise Lewis, Kelly Holmes, like that sort of yeah. era of just unbelievable athlete that was so good at what they did. And I think, you know, that inspired me because I was like, I love sport. I know I'm half decent at this. Like, look at what they're doing. Can I go and push myself to not because I wanted to be at the Olympics or I wanted mm. to as I said all that glitz and glam and cameras and stuff that that wasn't it but 
when someone crosses the finish line like that and you see their face light up and their arms fly in the air, mm. like I wanted that. I wanted that feeling. I wanted that joy. And yeah, I guess that's what I try and take into what I'm doing. I love that. <laughs> like I could just like see your little face as a young girl, like looking at the screen thinking, and now fast forward, you are that person. I'd like go out in the garden and try and recreate those things, you know. Would you really? I'd play t- I'd play tennis against the house and mum would be like, watch the windows. And I'd be like, hit two balls and then it'd be like, and I'd be like, oh no. <laughs> but I'd try and recreate those moments because I just loved it. And that'd be that'd be by myself. Like I didn't need other people to to do that with. I think I badgered the life out of my brother sometimes because obviously sometimes you do need a partner. Yeah, yeah, You do need someone to... Like play with me. Yeah, yeah. on holidays. I don't think he ever had a holiday. It was always like an activity <laughs> week. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just loved it. <laughs> so if there are any young girls watching this, listening to this, and they're thinking, I want to achieve my dreams. I want to get there. You know, you grew up on a farm. I mean you had some examples, but they were so, so far, so far away and so far removed from your reality. What would you say to them? Like, what would you say to inspire them to to go after it? I think like it has to be centered around enjoyment. So I think for me, I was really lucky that I was able to do loads of different sports. You know, I played a bit of hockey, but I didn't really enjoy it. So it didn't last long. And I was able to then find other things that I did really enjoy. And I think that's really important. I think sometimes for young girls, they get given netball, hockey, maybe athletics. Mm. And they basically, they've got to find a love within three things, which, you know, isn't a thing. And for many people, it won't be in sport at all. It will be arts, drama, music, whatever it is. It'll be something else. But I think just experiment and try and find the thing that you love. Because once you found the thing that you love, you will want to plow time into it. You'll want to, you know, put everything you can into it. And whether that's because you want to go and become the next England superstar or, you know, hit musician or whatever, or actually just because you genuinely love it and it puts a smile on your face. And and that is, a, I think, a really important thing for youngsters. Mm. You mentioned before that you reconnected with the women's team for back in the day, 1994, sewing things onto their kit, the sponsorships. And you mentioned one of your iconic moments was the suit, the suit that you have is so focused in your mind that moment. For you, you've been an advocate for the kits. <laughs> now you want a female-friendly kit that's going to complement the female shape. Talk to me about that because I know that you had to have an extra panel sewn into your shorts at one point. Don't be so dirty there, haven't they? Tell me everything. (laughs) I want to know. Yeah, so I guess (laughs) the easiest way to explain it is, again, go back to like my first cap or when I first started playing rugby. The the kit you had was, it was men's. It was, Mm. it hung off you. It was massive it didn't fit you were lucky if you you know you got something to the point that my dad and brother still work in kit I was given when I first got capped in 2008 so yes it's <laughs> yes it's wow. hardy but it was it did not fit me oh you know gosh. um so I think it, it's really important to to have things that make you feel comfortable we always talk about look good, play good, feel good, all of that sort yeah. of stuff. And it's really important, you know, especially in a game like rugby where it can be a fine margin of someone grabbing hold of your shirt or not grabbing hold of your shirt. And that's if it fits you properly or not. That's oh the difference sometimes between a tackle or a try. So it's, yeah, it's definitely been a battle. And I think one of the biggest things with rugby players is we're not a uniform shape and size. 
And I love that. Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so important. So the extra panel in my shorts was, so that was for the Rio Olympics. <laughs> so we went to Kitting Out, amazing day. Right. I kind of like put these shorts on. I was like, oh, you've got bigger size, please. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, big girl over here. Um, gave me a bigger size. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you've got a bigger size. And they're like, oh, that's the biggest we do. And I was like, oh, well, we're, we're going to have a bit of an issue. And they're like, oh, I'll give you some men's shorts. So I tried on the men's shorts. They fit, but obviously they were big in all different mm. places that you know just looked bizarre so in the end uh, I think it was our manager obviously spoke to the guys and was like look she needs to be able to and it wasn't just me actually I just like to add it was one of the other girls as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just me like kicking but up they basically had yeah. to sew in a panel on the side and it was we're not talking a little bit it was probably two three sizes wow and obviously like I'm not I'm a slightly bigger girl but I'm not enormous you know wow. this is this you should be made to feel as at the peak of your sporting, I guess, uh, journey in terms of going to an Olympic Games, you should be made to feel like you do fit. And I, and I didn't. And so I travelled to the Olympic Games without playing shorts. And let me tell you, that's stressful. Oh my gosh. Because arguably I could run out either in different shorts or well, obviously I'd never run out in no shorts, but you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like that's, that's quite a stressful thing. That'd be like forgetting your boots. Stressful. So I think like we've come a long way. You know, we used to wear rugby shirts that were really baggy here because they used to be in having men's shoulders in them that obviously pulled it a lot tighter right, and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, we have come a long way and I think it's really important. And I think it's also really important not to go too far. I personally don't want to wear tiny little shorts and a sports bra when I train. I don't mm. want to do that. I want to feel comfortable. So I do want to be in a t-shirt and either leggings or bigger shorts. So I think it's, I, I think the biggest thing for me is just making people feel comfortable. And that, and I don't think one size fits all with that. You know, where I want to wear a t-shirt, someone might want to wear a vest or a sports bra or anything else. Let them do that, mm. but make them feel that they can do that and still feel part of this team with the same badge and branding and all of that sort of stuff. And I, that's the biggest thing that I think is important to me at the moment. Yeah, because I mean, it has such a huge impact. Like you say, you you train and you prepare for such a long amount of time yeah. to get to this moment. You're like, right, okay, I'm representing the nation. I've trained for this my whole life. Like I'm in peak peak condition. I'm ready to do this. And then the kit doesn't fit. Yeah. The and then it's like, I can throw you completely. The kit should never be something that makes you feel rubbish, mm. in my opinion. You know, like we'll go out there and you'll drop a ball or you'll miss a tackle. You know, they're things that obviously you, you, you're trying really hard to avoid, but sometimes they'll happen. Whereas running out in kit that doesn't fit or makes you feel uncomfortable or is your focus? Because I've also played in shorts that are too small. That's what you're thinking about. Yeah. But like you can't be out there trying to, take catches, kick goals, make tackles while you're also trying to hook your shorts down because you feel really uncomfortable. It just, it shouldn't be a thing. Yeah, I mean, I felt like that like on a photo shoot and I'm just standing yeah. still. Yeah, yeah. I'm not running around <laughs> right, exactly. trying to kick balls. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I literally can't even imagine <laughs> what that must feel like. I mean, yeah, it's not a fashion show, but ultimately it's got to be functional. It has to be functional. I get it needs to look good, obviously. Like we all want to look good as well. But it, as I say, it's looking good with also what's authentic to you. What did you do before the panels were sewn in? Like, how were you Nothing. training? What were you, how did you get around these issues? Yeah, so I think <laughs> because they were the match shorts for when we actually went out to Rio. So we continued to train in our, just our England kit, I think, before we went out there. So I was fine, but yeah, it was stressful. <laughs> I've still got those shorts now because I just think they're they're quite a good kind of memory of of what that was. You've got the panel shorts. I've got the panel shorts. In the archives. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Every now and again, I whip them out for training, and everyone's like, "Oh, they're retro." Actually, that's so <laughs> <Why not>? funny. <laughs> keep keep you grounded and all that. I love that, especially in pre-season when you've got to work hard and you probably put on a little bit of extra. <laughs> or after Christmas, get the panelled shorts out; they'll soon bring you back down after to work. Christmas. <laughs> I love it. The trophies aren't displayed. The t-shirts are locked away, but the, the panelled panel shorts <laughs> come out to play front and center. Absolutely love that so much. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So for anybody listening to this, what is the main takeaway that you want people to go away with? Like anybody that's trying to chase a dream, anybody that's kind of on their journey, because it's so refreshing when you hear from somebody that's achieved so much like you have, you know, when you're in the struggle or you're in the hustle, like to hear some sort of words of encouragement that will keep you, keep driving you forward. I think for me, it is all around that bit around, you know, have I done everything that I possibly could? You know, if you've set yourself a goal, I think it's really important to set goals because then you're accountable to it. Um, and that doesn't mean my goal isn't, one of my goals is to win the World Cup, but actually the goals that will make that happen are arguably the more important ones because I can't guarantee that, but I can guarantee the bits of work that I'm going to do towards it. And I think that's the really important thing. You know, after a competition, after you've done something, after a week, can you look back and reflect and go, yeah, I did all the things I said I was going to do, or I worked as hard as I possibly could, or I, you know, I didn't bail on that bike session. I only did two sets. I should have done three, you know, all mm. of those sorts of things that you can hold yourself to account, but then also like put a smile on your face. You know, you have to enjoy what you do, get good people around you, do it with friends. Like solo training is one of the hardest things. Like I'm so lucky I'm in a team sport, so mm. we don't have to do it that often. And arguably if I was in a a solo sport I think I'd an individual sport I think I'd really struggle for all those reasons um because the girls are what keep you going so yeah surround yourself with good people and just have fun with it have to have fun with it like I still now I, as much as I'm really focused on it and and all of that sort of stuff I still want to have a laugh I still want to yeah you know try something in training that's going to put a smile on someone's face it's not all serious 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 until we get off the field it, it has to be um part of the journey what do you wish for the game, like outside of you? I think obviously continue to push on in terms of all the things we've spoken around, you know, commercialization of the game, visibility, accessibility, all of those sorts of things. But I also wish, say in 10 years time or so, you're not having to have conversations around how far it's come. Mm. It's, it's just here. Yeah. It is what it is and it's here. And you're not having to compare it to the men's or you're not having to compare it to you know, women's football or other things. It just, it is here. We are doing what we're doing. We're bloody good at it. And everybody knows about it. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> Skaz, you've been so amazing to talk to. <laughs> it's been really cool learning about your journey and everything that shaped you and to be just a part of it as well. A little, get a little snippet into your life before you achieve your, your next massive goal. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. If people want to catch up with you and they want to stalk you after this, this is what I do typically when I look at an interview of anyone where can they see you yeah so I am on Instagram um, my handle is at scaz13 amazing <laughs> gonna give that a follow <laughs> appreciate that appreciate that <laughs> thanks for listening to Shaping Success a Simply Be podcast if you like what you've heard please give us a follow and a rating on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever else you listen to your podcasts Shaping Success is a Folding Pocket production <laughs>